Welcome back to Agent Investor, inspiring stories of active agents investing in real estate and building passive income. In a business where potential deals are all around you, why not leverage your skills to invest for yourself, your family, and your future? And now, let's jump into the latest episode of Agent Investor. I'm your host, Tom Caparella, and I am very excited to have a guest on that I've kind of seen everywhere lately on Facebook, but haven't gotten the chance to talk to in person. Whitney Nicely, uh, thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. So what's going on with you? I see you everywhere. I am very mouthy on Facebook, and nice. that's because I really enjoy it. And, you know, sometimes I get kind of lonely here in my office, and, you know, there's only so many houses I can go buy. So instead of talking to my husband's ear off, I just hop on Facebook and talk to everybody else. <laughs> so does your husband like real estate or no? Yes, he prefers apartments, and I like houses. But okay. as long as the money's green and coming in, we're we're happy. <laughs> nice. Is, is he in the business, or does he do he something is. else full-time? No, he's in the business. Uh, we have 19 apartment units and he pretty much takes care of those. Yeah. I do a little bit, but um, I have 19 houses and I take care of those. I so, see. you know, our dinner conversations are very educational, I guess, probably yeah. kind of boring. Um, we talk about, you know, marketing and uh, just different things over dinner. I don't know what regular people talk about anymore. It's you yeah, know, tried to... well, well, I'm married and my wife doesn't want to know anything <laughs> about my business. I mean, nothing at all. So it's pretty rare. I mean, basically, once I start to talk about real estate, she starts to kind of tune me out. So I've kind of learned not to go there, but I, I've been really lucky. I've got two business partners that I can talk to whenever I want to about this kind of stuff. So I don't get totally left out on an island. Yeah, I I grew up in a family business. So every meal was an executive meeting. Every holiday was a conference. So talk, talking about business over dinner is just, I mean, I don't know what regular people talk about. I, I, know, I, know, I know what you're saying. It is kind of all consuming. It's also fun. I mean, for people that are kind of thinking about getting into real estate, I think, you know, at least I can attest to, and I'm sure you probably say the same. It's also a hobby in addition to being a business, right? It's because you're passionate about it and you love it. And it wasn't always that way. You know, when I, we have been dating for about a year before I was like, you know what, I'm going to go be a real estate investor. And he was like, sit down. No. Uh, and we actually broke up over it a little bit because I wanted to get more into real estate. And he was like, I don't want to talk about this. And I was like, oh, we're going to talk about it. <laughs> so at that point, what were you, were you, did you have a career already? Where were you at? Yeah. Um, so my family's had a dump truck company since 1939. I started trucking as soon as I graduated college. Mm -hmm. And so I was in the family's business and helping them truck. And I was selling dump trucks. And I started to get more interested in real estate. And the family had a little bit of a real estate holding company. So mm -hmm. I started working with that more than trucks. And then I was like, you know what? I don't want to wait until I'm 60. I want to go ahead and start buying houses and start getting my own mailbox money coming in. I don't want to have to wait until somebody dies to start getting some money. So who put that idea into your head? Well, my mom has always been a real estate investor. I grew up knowing that we had money coming in the mailbox every month. Like I didn't realize bills came in the mailbox until I was, you know, in my twenties. I yeah. thought everybody just had money in the mailbox every month. 
So you you already had seen that real estate could work from a young age. I did, but the way my family does real estate is, you know, they've got one little honey hole and they try to buy everything that comes available in that little honey hole. They don't have any strategies. They don't have any formulas. They don't do any marketing. It's all word of mouth stuff. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do it, you know, faster and stronger and better. And so I, I bought two houses with my money, with my life savings, bought two houses, just kind of throwing spaghetti on the wall because that's what my family taught me to do. And I ran out of money, but I still saw some deals or what I thought might sort of be deals. So I started getting a little bit further and a little bit further away from what my family was doing and into, you know, rent to own houses and doing things my own way. Whereas now they, they know I have a bunch of houses, but they're still not sure how I do it. (laughs) Yeah. So that's actually one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you specifically, because you had posted something on Facebook about a month ago talking about rent to own. And, and what I had said, I responded to you that I don't see it being done. Like to me, it seems like something that you read about in a book, um, but that doesn't happen in real life. And I've talked to different people. I, I'm serious, and I'm very, I'm very open-minded. Um, but it, I don't see it happening much in the Northeast. So I don't know if you know where I'm out of. I'm out, I'm out of Boston, and I don't see it, you know, very frequently. I, actually, to be honest with you, I've never seen it, and and I'm very active in the Boston market, and I know a lot of the other players, but. Um, it does seem like it's in different markets and it, I guess my assumption has always been that it works better in certain markets for some reason. Um, Tell me a little bit about what you've done and kind of the basics of how you've gotten it to work and maybe open my mind to how it might work in Boston. So I've done 54 deals in the last three years and I did most of those in the first two years. Uh, I've been living on cash flow for the last year, pretty much. And so I did a whole lot really fast. And I think Mm -hmm. that's been part of what made me successful is that I got out there and I just created this hurricane, this disaster of stuff going on. And I was making offers and I was talking to sellers and I was getting leads and I was following up and, you know, all those things that they teach us how to do. I was just doing it like 10x, like crazy, fanatical about it. Yep. But I really found that there was two kinds of people that were going to be ready and willing to do a rent to own with me. And that was going to be people who had inherited a property and they moved to Boston or California and they didn't want this little dinky house back in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Or people that were struggling. Uh, Maybe they were accidental landlords. Like they they tried to sell a house, they moved on and the house didn't sell. So they just had people renting it. They didn't want to be landlords. They just need somebody else to cover the mortgage for them. Mm-hmm. So I found them and said, you know what? I'm like a glorified tenant. I'm going to be buying it and paying your mortgage for you every month for the next five or 10 years. And they were like, awesome. So we don't have to take care of the toilets or worry about if they pay on time or anything. I was like, nope, I'll take care of all of that. So the question I've always had with that is why not? Why would they not just sell? There must be some reason why they can't sell, Right. Sometimes they owe, you know, what it's worth and there's not a lot of equity in it. Sometimes the kitchen is kind of, sort of out of date. I mean, not like disgusting or anything like that. It just needs, you know, new counters. It needs new hardware. It needs whatever. And the thing is, the people I talk to have life going on. Now, you and I are real estate people. So we could take a weekend or a day and have a crew come in and change everything up real fast and be done with it. But a lot of people are so busy doing life, running the kids to the sports, 
go into school themselves, trying to climb the corporate ladder, trying to take care of mom and dad, that they just cannot in their mind carve out a day or a weekend to take care of this house. And and, and in your market, would these properties not sell as is? Yeah, maybe they tried or maybe they just didn't. Maybe they just want a really quick solution. There's also people like, I'm a broker for my own firm, but some people don't like real estate agents and they don't want to pay somebody Mm -hmm. for stuff that they feel like they could do themselves. You know, Mm -hmm. they could put it on Zillow. They could put it on Craigslist, but they try that. And that's a lot of times how I find them. They try that and then they realize they don't want to answer the phone and they don't want to listen to all these excuses and they don't want to go show up and then have somebody not show up when they were supposed to. And like, they just get frustrated. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, somebody just take this away from me. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah see, I, I think, I think that's the difference between my marketing yours is that in Boston, as of today, again, with the prices and stuff like that, if you bought a property, you know, two years ago and you get into that position, you would just sell it and you'd make a hundred thousand. And so the other the other thing that I think is a little bit different is that on a single family, our mortgage payments might be three grand, but the rents that might come in on a single family might be eighteen hundred. Yeah. So I think that's the other variable there. What what type of price point are you typically doing these deals in? And then what is the mortgage that you're covering? And then what are the rents that are coming in? The Knoxville market as a whole, like the metro Knoxville market, including like eight or nine counties, yep. it, it drops off like a cliff at 160. Meaning that above 160 things don't sell? There's just nothing really out there. There's nobody buying it. There's nobody building it. There's nobody buy, uh, so around wait, for it. So Everything you, goes up to 150. So if you have if you have a $200,000 pre-approval, what type of house are you, are you able to get? I don't know. You mean they just don't exist? I mean, I guess they do somewhere. Yeah. Uh, another thing is I, I have a honey hole. I have like a little area where I can, I, I'm a big fish in a small pond. And it is not in, like you keep talking about Boston. That's Boston proper. I'm not in Knoxville proper. I'm actually like a county away. I went straight out into not even the suburbs, but like rural, yep. regular East Tennessee, where there's good working people. And a lot of them commute into Knoxville for the good, high-paying jobs, yep. but they want to live outside. And I also, I, when I was getting started, I was like, okay, everybody's going to Fountain City. Everybody's going to Farragut. Everybody's going there. And I was like, well, I'm going to go the other place. I'm going to go like directly opposite of where everybody else is. And I think that's the reason I had success too, is that I wasn't, there wasn't any competition. I was the only one there making offers. So how far are we talking from the, from Knoxville Metro? 30 minutes. Oh, okay. So not even that far because outside of Boston proper, a half an hour is still Boston. Boston. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you, no. can go, you can basically go about an hour and you're practically still Boston. Um, basically, I mean, a lot of people are looking for a one hour commute. And, and oftentimes people will be forced to have more than an hour commute. So I would, if I was up there, I would go out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I would find two or three little suburbs and I would just dominate. Yeah, so we once you get outside of that one hour, the market completely changes here because that's when people really, it starts to get too far from the major city. And if you go two hours outside of Boston, then it sounds to me like the type of market that you're talking about where 
it's just a small town and people typically live there for a long time. And it's like, um, so getting back to like the numbers. So, you know, I know every deal is a little bit different, but what are you typically um, putting them under contract for? What is the mortgage payment? And then what are the rents that you're getting? Uh, the last two houses I got, they the the after repair, the ARV, um, the retail was one thirty or one forty, yep. and I got both of those. I got one for one hundred five and one one ten, so I got a little bit of an equity spread. But I'm also not trying to swing for the fences. I just want to get solid singles and yep. keep moving around. Yep. So you know, I've got that spread in the back when and if they get a mortgage. Mm-hmm. But I don't give these people any money down. I take over their payments in three months. That way, if somebody comes to me and they say, okay, we're going to get this $150,000 house, we've got $15,000 to move in, I just made $15,000. Okay. And then what is the typical mortgage payment on that? And then- A thousand bucks, $900 a month, and I can rent it for $1,200. Okay. Interesting. So basically, you market for sellers that that are interested in doing this. Um, you make them an offer, you get a, a, a little equity position on day one. The person, the, the rent to own person that's coming in there then has a strike price that's above the ARV, right? Yeah, but not or, much. I mean, I don't okay. charge them 200 for a $150,000 house. I'll charge them maybe 160 mm-hmm. for a $150,000 house. Or, you know, depending if they need one year, maybe I'll let them have it for 154. If they need two years, I'm going to go 160. And so the. Uh, the rent to own individuals that are coming into these properties, are they giving you a, a down payment? No, because I'm not a mortgage broker. I get a non-refundable option fee. What are you typically charging for that? I like 10%, but what I've learned is East Tennesseans aren't really good at math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if I can say, oh, we usually take anywhere between 10, 15, $20,000, something like that, yeah. they qualify themselves. If they only got 800 bucks, they're like, cool, I'll, I'll ask my husband to call you back. If they have 10 or 15 or 20, they'll say, well, would you take 12? Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, why don't you go look at the house and see what we can get worked out? And how difficult is it to get the leads for the person that wants to do a rent-to-own? It's not hard at all. Oh, my gosh. It's so easy. So many Americans have damaged credit or they've just moved to the area and they haven't established a job history, so they can't get a regular mortgage yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's it's like, you know, it, it's like when you're dating, it's like there's plenty of fish in the sea. Mm-hmm. So, so you never have any difficulty getting the rent to own person? The hardest part is making sure I get people that have enough money that are going to actually get a mortgage in two years. Mm, you want them to get a mortgage. I want them to because that's thirty dollars or $40,000 that I'm going to get. But I'm not going to get it unless they get a mortgage. Interesting. But you still win, though, even if they don't get a mortgage, right? Because I got five or 10 years and I'll get somebody else to give me 15000 and move in. And I'm really after that, that $300. If I get 10 houses and $300 a month off each one of them, that's $3,000 that, you know, I got 10 or 15 when they moved in, but I'm getting 300 a month for the next, you know, year or two. And then I'll get somebody else with 10 or 15. And so like, all of that, whether I get that last back-end payday or not, I still make good money mm. with so, very little work involved. So it's kind of interesting. Another part of it, I guess, that I don't fully understand, and hopefully you can dive into this. You're getting an option on their property, correct? You're getting yes. an option with the seller to strike price at maybe a hundred for a $115,000 house. Sure. Um, and then you're paying their mortgage payment during that time. 
Mm-hmm. So you're getting a, a rent-to-own person in there that's going to give you a deposit. It's going to basically pay rent that's going to be a little bit bigger than your mortgage balance. What happens if that person stops paying you? They usually leave. I've only out of fifty deal, fifty-four deals, I've only evicted one person. Most of the time, they send me a text and they're like, "Hey, like I had one house. Uh, they moved in in October and April. They they called me and they're like, "Hey, Whitney, we need to talk to you. When can we meet?" And I was like, "Oh no, this sounds like bad news. Tell me what's going on." And they're like, "Well, we've got good news and bad news. And the good news is we're going to be able to adopt this little boy that we've been, you know, fostering. The bad news is he's in a wheelchair and we're living in a split foyer house. Mm-hmm. So we don't want this house anymore." And I was like, oh, well, you're going to, you know, lose your option and all the rent you paid in. They're like, yeah, we know. We really appreciate it. But we're really excited to be able to adopt him. And we've already got another house lined up. So we're gone. Bye. And they had, like, people are always worried about what if they destroy my house? When I sold them that house, it was a three-bedroom, two-bath. And when I got it back, it was a five-bedroom, two-bath. They completely redid the basement, wired it. Um, They didn't put a bathroom in down there, but they, like, made it nicer. And that's what I find in these rent-to-own houses. Yeah. It, if they leave, it is much nicer than when they came in. Yeah. So they're, I mean, I'm assuming that in their mind when they enter into the rent-to-own, they're buying, right? They are a buyer and they are proud and they want to improve it and they love it. Mm. So that person moves out. Again, you haven't had many people that, that have moved out. That person moves out. How, what's the lag time between that person moving out and you getting the next person in there? Um, it's anywhere between 30 and 90 days. Okay. I had, it depends on the house and, you know, location, location, location. But I had one little dinky house. I, it was an outhouse house because it had an outhouse in the backyard when I bought it. Mm-hmm. And the people that took it the first time tore down the outhouse, added a third bedroom, redid the bathroom that was inside it, and then they left. They were going to get divorced and they were going to go move to separate states. So I put a sign up in the yard and I put a sign at a stop sign in this little area. And before I could get to my office, I had three people wanting to go look at it, two people wanting to bring me money before they looked at it. So that one went in like a weekend. You know, I was having to say, hold on, we got to get an application in. Y'all calm down. When you're when you're marketing and these people respond to the marketing, do they? I feel like rent to own is. I mean, it's not a difficult concept, but do most people understand it right out of the gate, or does it take an educational process? It takes a um, a mindset. This may be a class difference. Like I had a two twenty five house on the lake, and I could not get anybody into that. I mean, I struggled with that house because, because it was too high end. It was too high end for my market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. people that could afford that didn't want a rent to own. Yeah. Interesting. Even if they had bad credit, they didn't want to do a rent to own. It was a mindset and a pride thing for them. If I can come back on the other side of that 150, it's all day long. People are ready for it because they they rent to own their washer. They rent to own their car. They rent to own mm, everything. Understand. They yeah. just get it. And they understand that they're probably going to pay a premium. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Again, you know, different demographic there for sure. Yes. So, so you've never had an issue with, with somebody not paying. Um, what are the laws in your state? One time you did? I did have one eviction. Okay. One eviction. What's the time frame for eviction in your state? Uh, 30 days. I think if they, my oh, contract says uh, <laughs> that they have to, they have to pay by the 5th and they have until the 14th to pay a late fee. And on the 14th, I send eviction letters 
uh, with a green on the back. I don't know if yep. you can see that. Um, yep. And this is one that I sent Talk out. This is my there. fiction letter. It got returned to me because he would never get it or whatever. Um, but that is the only one that I've had. Now, so if they don't leave within that 30 to 45 day period, do you, is there a court process or what happens? Oh yeah. I, I just, I don't really actually know because I just call my attorney cause I do all my closings with the same attorney. Yeah. Uh, and so that way, if there is a problem, you know, I call Evan and I say, Hey, so-and-so didn't pay. He sends me a letter. I send it in the mail and I hand it over to him. That's, yeah. so that's what why you, I have him. <laughs> what do you think that, what do you think the average time it would take to get somebody out in the Boston market is? I have no idea. <laughs> so if I told you it was like eight to 12 months, what would you say to that? Are y'all doing owner financing or rentals? No, rentals, straight rentals. Stra- rentals. Well, that's why you don't have any rent to owns up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's the other thing, the, the other variable as to why, like, you know, you just illustrated that I don't think we have too many. So we're in a state where, you know, if, if the tenant's not paying, there's still a lot of wiggle room for them to stay for a long period of time without paying. Let's take a quick break from the episode. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincamerancoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. Yeah, it's it's in certain markets, California, Massachusetts, New York. um, You know, you can kind of see the political leanings, um, you know, by the states that I'm talking about. But also know that there's going to be you know, maybe in Boston proper where you have a large population leaning one way or the other, but there's going to be another place that is another county that maybe they're more blue collar, they're more, uh, you know, kind of local guys doing things on a handshake. So if you, if, you know, if you isolate Atlanta, Georgia sucks, but if you take Atlanta out of that, Georgia is amazing. Okay. And so I think it's going to be on the way you're looking at it and your perspective and where you're trying to play ball. So now you said you do most of your business in Knoxville, but you're, you live in Georgia, which is how far, how far are you from? I do most of my business in Knoxville because I was born and raised in Knoxville. I'm a vol girl and I always will be. My husband lives in Georgia. His kids live in Georgia. So I stay here a lot. (laughs) Okay. Got it. Okay, you still have a place though in Knoxville? Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. And how how far is that for you? It's two and a half hours. Okay. It's like a normal workday commute for y'all. <laughs> so yeah. Oh man. It's crazy here. I mean, I'm really lucky. I own my own business and I live ten minutes from the office. But yeah, I mean, most of my friends are looking looking at an hour and it's typically um not a drive either because you know, parking in, in Boston is tough. So you're typically, you know, taking a train or a commuter rail or a bus or something. Um, so one of the most important things, obviously, when it comes to getting deals is marketing to sellers directly. So what do you do to get these deals in the first place? Uh, I really believe in word of mouth. Yep. Uh, because it's been around longer than anything else in the world. Uh, you can do yellow letters. You can do, um, I do Facebook posts like from my personal feed. And I really believe in the power of relationships. So if you're already friends with somebody on Facebook and you let them know what you're looking for, if they're at their office and somebody has a house that you should get in contact with, it's a lot easier for them to say, hey, talk to my friend Tom than for you to just pull a list and hope and pray that person's on it. Mm-hmm. 
You know, I really believe in the power of relationships and educating your friends and family as to what you want and how you want it so that you can get further down the lead. Like I talk to people and they talk to three or 400 different people like a week. I only need to talk to maybe 10 people because I'm so narrowed down in my focus of who I'm wanting to talk to. And then I can spend more time with them and really help them come up with a good solution. So I saw on Facebook that you were doing some door knocking. Do you do that frequently? Or? I did that once. Okay. And what happened was I had an empty house in my neighborhood and I tried and tried and tried. I mailed letters and then I'd get distracted and then I'd forget to follow up and, you know, whatever. I wasn't like super excited to go hunt these people down. But one day I was on my, home, my way home for lunch and there was some guys out mowing the yard. And so I pulled in the driveway and I was like, hey, who pays you? And they were like, that guy. And they pointed like three houses down. So Mm -hmm. the person that owns this house is like eight houses away from me. And I was not finding them. So I went and knocked on their door and I was like, hey, do you want to sell that stone house? And they were like, yeah. uh." And I was like, no, I have a contract. Like, let's talk about it. And walked in, sat down at the kitchen table, made them an offer. They signed right then. It was like a 30 minute in and out and done. That is the only time I've been door knocking. And that was a rent to own? It was a rent to own. I took it over for their mortgage. They were an elderly couple and they'd lived in this stone house for a long time. They tried to sell it. They couldn't. They qualified that they could buy this new nice house with no stairs. So mm-hmm. they wanted to move to the new, you know, flat rancher house. Um, but they weren't cut out to be landlords. They just ended up making payments on an empty house. And there's tons of people who make payments on an empty house because they just don't want to be a landlord. So Mm -hmm. instead of cashing them out, because I didn't have that money, but I could take over that payment and put a renter in there and solve their problem, which was this money going out every month and solve my problem that I didn't have to bring any money to closing. And I just started making money from go. So when you initially go on that seller appointment, did they they typically believe you're coming there to make a cash offer to do a rent to own or that they're, you're just coming to make them an offer, period. I make three offers every time I go talk to sellers. I'll make them a cash offer, but it's usually just enough to like get their head in the game. And then I'll make them two lease option offers. I'll make them one for five years and one for 10 years. And what, what's the difference between the five and 10? Usually, I mean, these people owed 60000 and I got it for five years at what they owed in their monthly payment. Mm-hmm. If they would give me 10 years, you know, maybe I'd give them 75000 and seventy five thousand comes at this closing. At uh, seventy five thousand comes in ten years. Yeah, is that correct? Yep. Yep. Okay. So I would, you know, over ten years, I'll definitely pay that house off, mm-hmm. and then they'll get a. So if that's how you know if they if they're hard up and they definitely need to make something off this house. Well, you can. It's just going to take me a longer time to give it to you. Have you ever had a seller that entered into one of these contracts with you and then? you know, a year later, they said, I just can't, you know, deal with having this over, even though you're taking care of everything, they want to back out for some reason. Well, I cloud the title. Yep. So even if they did, nobody has called and told me that. Um, But I've, I've already got their title screwed up at that point. So they couldn't without paying me off. And, you know, I've got some, and that's part of building the relationship. They know I've got somebody else in that house. They know I've got somebody that's planning on cashing us out. And really, by the time you make somebody's mortgage payment for them for a year or two, they kiss your toes. I mean, (laughs) who offers to take over your mortgage payment for you? So what do you mean that the the old seller could cash you out? You said that, 
You said that a seller could cash you out, or are you talking about the buyer on the rental? The, the buyer would be okay. cashing us out. I must have spoke wrong. No, that's okay. So, but you've never had an instance where a seller said to you, you know, uh, I kind of want a different arrangement or something like that. No, because we get that up front and I really dig into their pain. And, you know, one thing that is difficult is if you have somebody and they're in pain now and you solve that for a year, that's they're not in pain anymore. That's, that's, well, that's kind of what I was thinking is that I'm wondering, you know, once they get out of the pain, if they're like, man, you know, Do I they, want the house back for, for whatever reason. But why would they? You know, they have such bad memories of... Um, well, maybe, maybe because the property went up in value, maybe. I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking out loud. I, again, I have no experience in this. I'm kind of just thinking about this from all different kinds of angles. But I haven't never- had anybody do that. Yeah, um, yeah. But I've only had one uh, come up. I had two years on it, and we extended for another six months um, yeah. because my people needed a little bit more time. But, you know, I gave him another $1,000 to extend for six months. So you're making them the three offers. You're making them a five-year um, lease option, a 10-year lease option, and then a cash offer. Now, if they take the cash offer, what are you doing with that property typically? Wholesaling, fixing and flipping, renting, what do you typically do? I'm not a wholesaler. I don't like it. I, I've only had, I guess, one person take my cash offer, and it was on that outhouse house, and he wanted 17000 so he could buy a new truck for his business. And I'd been doing so many deals that I just had 17000 in option fees because they're non-refundable. It's my money. And so I just bought it. Yeah. And, and, then, and so when, you, when you're making a, when you're giving those three options and you're making a cash offer, is, is your cash offer lower than what a typical cash offer would be because you don't really want those or are they just standard, like 70% of ARV minus repairs? That's exactly what I give. Yeah. But on the flip side, when I give those other two, you know, people, they want cash. Yep. But I can give them cash every month and give them more money at the end. And I, it must be in my script or my strategy that I convince them to get more money by letting me make their payments. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting again because I've never, I've never pitched it. it just, to, uh, I'd be curious, you know, what, um, you know, the, the way that because most sellers, I mean, all of our offers were, we're at, we give them two options as well, but then it's not a cap, it's not a um, rent to own. We're either listing it because I'm, I'm a broker and I have a, a brokerage, or we're buying it cash. So we're, we're typically comparing and contrasting the, the two, you know, pluses and minuses of those. I just thought of another um, situation. I had three sisters that had inherited mama's house. And the day that I went to give an offer, I gave them three offers. But as I was walking in to talk to them, I passed an agent coming out, like a regular agent. Yep. And, uh, and I just knew, oh, crap, they're getting more offers. Well, whatever. I went in, I gave him my three offers, and he was going to, you know, get them 120, but they were going to have to spend 30 or 40 flipping the kitchen and fixing the bathrooms. I was going to give them 60. But I was going to do the kitchen and the bathrooms. And ultimately, they decided that they would rather just have 60 and not have to go through this process. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. And I had the relationship built up. These were people that were, you know, friends of my mom. And when I went, we, you know, chatted about the old days and talked about their mom that had passed. And I had all of that on my side. And maybe he'd gone to church with them. I don't know. But I know that my relationship got me further into that deal because I made a low offer and they took it. Mm, and and that, on that, I had uh, private money. I had people that wanted to buy in that neighborhood 
and it was a 130 house. Mm-hmm. So they bought it and flipped it and rented it. So as of today, how many of these are kind of like rot- rotating through your books? Like how many um, of these rental owns do you have going right now? I have 19 houses right now. Cool. I take that back. I have two that are in a regular rental program because I'm wanting to do a 1031 exchange and you can't do this on a 1031, according to my accountant. If somebody knows different, please tell me. <laughs> yeah. So you've got 19 rotating through. So that, that provides you enough cash flow probably to live on, right? Yeah. And, but because I'm, you know, kind of spunky and I get bored, so I'm coaching. <laughs> oh yeah. No, I know you're doing a lot of, you know, um, let's talk a little bit about that too. So when you're coaching people, are you typically coaching them on the rent to own model or just real estate investing in general? Really real estate investing, but I always tell them that if you want to go to the bank and get financing, they're going to start to cap you off. Like they're not going to let you do 19 deals in three years using all bank financing. Like they're just not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's when you do have to get creative. But now if I'm talking to people and they got a pocket full of money, I'm not going to tell them that they're stupid if they want to use cash to buy houses. Like people do that. It's fine. I've got some formulas and strategies to help you make sure that you're getting a really good deal. And I want you to at least try to get it without using any money. But if you have to use your money, then that's fine. Yeah. So are most of the people that you're working with working on the rent-to-own model or different different avenues? Most of them are trying it. They're mostly closing deals with private money or with you know self-funding. Um, I, I do have a couple that are doing amazing getting these lease options uh or they're doing a combination like i had a gentleman he's an accountant i have a lot of people that have nine to fives that they love they just want to do real estate on the side yeah or agents that want to have you know that steady on the side so that if they close and get a clear to close then it's a bonus Mm -hmm. um so i I work with a lot of people like that most of my people don't want to be full-time investors interesting so they just want to have that side pot. They want to have that longevity. They want to know that they're doubling on their retirement fund. You know, they they want to do one deal every couple of months instead of one a week. Typically speaking, are the people that you're working with fairly close to you or is it all over the country? I have a lot of people in California. Okay. So actually. Yeah, all over um, the place. And then I have... A larger concentration in the Southeast, I think, uh, partly because of what you said earlier, that there's just not a lot of it going on up there, Um, but also because I'm here and I'm close and I speak redneck, which is who Mm -hmm. they're dealing with too. So it just (laughs) makes sense. Yeah, for sure. So um, I know you do some some in-person events, right? Yes, I have so much fun because the thing I don't like about online coaching is I don't get to see those light bulbs go off. I don't get to see them have the epiphanies. When I'm like in the room with them and we limit these to 10 or 15 people, when I say something or I'm explaining something, I can literally see the light bulbs around the room going off. And mm-hmm. I know that they've just taken another step towards what they want. So how often do you do the in-person events? I have done three so far this year. I've got two more planned, one in California for my California people and one in Knoxville because people want to come see me in my area. So we're going to do one in Knoxville. Um, So then I'll do, so next year I'm planning on six, uh, four, four traveling, one here in Rome where I live with my husband and one in Knoxville. Nice. So the ones in California, California is so, so big. So are you going to an area where a lot of different people can get to or what? We're, I, we're going to Pasadena. 
I have a lady uh, that had some really awesome connections in Pasadena. And um, I had two people, one in San Francisco, one in Sacramento. And so most of the concentration of people I have are in L.A. or San Diego anyway. So it was going to be Southern California. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Um, Yeah, I've got some people I'm working with in in Southern California as well. I've I've got a good amount in California. I mean, California, I, I, I didn't even, this probably is going to sound ignorant, but I didn't realize how big just the LA County was. So LA County has more people than all of Massachusetts. And I'm sure it has more people than all of Tennessee for sure. The other thing is my California people, like I didn't mean for this to happen, but they take everything I teach them and they do it virtually. Like the lady I was telling you about that helped me get the place in Pasadena, she's investing in Colorado. I have another guy in LA, he's investing in Ohio. Uh, my Sacramento girl is investing in Nebraska. Like they're not. Well, I think I think that's just a function of what I talked about in the beginning. I agree. Yeah, I, you can't do, I mean, you can't, I mean, it's, I don't think you can do this stuff in Boston, but you definitely can't do it in LA. I mean, if you can't do it in Boston, you can't do it in a market that's, 30, 40% higher. So the markets that you talked about, Nebraska, um, all those places, they're kind of similar numbers wise to I think what you have going on. Yes. And I think that works too, because we're in, you know, a hot seller's market. But when that starts to cool off, I think people are going to scramble to figure out how they're going to get something done. And so the people that I'm teaching now are going to be a year or two more advanced than the people that come into it. So, you know, the reason I think that you don't hear about rent owns a lot is everything's kind of cyclical. You know, there's, you know, fads and things that come through. And I think everybody's really focused on wholesaling right now. And so lease options kind of, or rent to owns are kind of in the Valley. Mm -hmm. Um, But as the market starts to switch, I think that will switch as well. Yeah, I could definitely see that because right now, at least again, in my market, it's easy. A seller is either going to get a cash offer or they're going to put their property on the market and sell it almost immediately. But when they start to lose equity um, and the market's going down and there's more sellers than buyers, at that point, they're going to either have to sell at a bigger discount or in a lot of cases, they may need to short sale. And to me, this sounds like something that would be an alternative to a short sale. Oh, for sure. Because during a short sale, that's so such a long process and you have to, you know, forfeit your credit and you have to forfeit your buying abilities for the next little bit. Whereas I can, I don't want to say I'm going to save that, mm-hmm. but you don't have to go through that either. Yeah. It, it's totally, totally different than that. Yeah. And, you know, the problem with short sales, I'm sure, as you know, is that you don't know if they're ever going to get approved. They take forever. Your, your, your credit continues to be damaged all along the way. So, you know, it's, it's kind of tough. And actually it's weird in Knox County, we had, I think a week or two where there were no REO properties on the market. Mm. So um, you hold the, you hold the, you're going to do six, six events in the next year Mm -hmm. Um, for the people that are working directly with you. How does that process work? I have say, two. say somebody's listening right now and they say, you know, I want to learn rent to own. How can they get in touch with you and, and what can they expect in terms of, of learning? The best way to get in touch with me is to join my Facebook group. Mm-hmm. And so if you go to WhitneyNicely.com slash group, it'll reroute you over to the group because it's a big, long, ugly URL. But uh, that's the best way to get in contact with me to know if I'm offering group or one-on-one coaching um, mm-hmm. because I open those programs and then close them back down when I have, you know, as much as I can handle because I still do invest. I still go talk to sellers and I can't be given all my time to coaching if I'm not, you know, building my own portfolio too. So I practice what I preach. But I have a group program 
uh, that's actually opening in the next week or two. And then I have a one-on-one program. So there's two different options to work with me. And naturally with a group, you're in a group atmosphere, but with the one-on-one, you get the group and you get me dedicated to you an hour every week for 12 weeks. Nice. Nice. Um, and what do people do usually do after the 12 weeks? Is there a, like a continuation program that you offer or no? There is, but my goal is to get you to do one deal and to see how all the moving parts work so that you can repeat it. Now, if you want me to work with you and keep repeating, you know, onto your fifth, 10th, 18th deal, I will. Yep. But my goal is to start with newbie real estate investors and get them through their first deal in 12 weeks mm-hmm. so that if they want me, fine. If they don't, they can do it on their own. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on today. It was really good. I definitely learned a lot. I got to start thinking about those kind of tertiary markets, you know, two or three hours away to kind of, you know, start doing some of the stuff. And getting, you know, a foothold out there before it sinks. And that way, you know, you are a big fish in a small pond when the water starts to rise. Cool. So um, again, uh, thank you for coming on. Um, Thanks, Tom. Uh, This is Tom Caffarella. I will see everybody next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Agent Investor. And especially thank you for sharing the show with other agents and reviewing the show on iTunes. Every time you share the show, you are potentially changing someone's life. To get weekly video trainings and connect with other agent investors, join our free private Facebook group. Just go to joincameroncoaching.com and we'll add you to the group. We'd love to see you there. And stay tuned for the next episode of Agent Investor.